No Simple Road is stoked to have Sunset Lake CBD back with us as our sponsor. Sunset Lake is the real deal. If you've looked around trying to find CBD and it just didn't do what it was supposed to do, this is the place you need to go. They've got every kind of product you can imagine, including CBD tinctures with sleep gummies that are great for getting to bed, CBD gummy bears and reishi infused chews that can help bring you a little bit of calm in a stressful day. They've got salve. They've got smokable hemp flower that's great for folks like me that don't want to get stoned and paranoid, but want to have the benefits of cannabis. Well, now you got it. And they even carry CBD products for your pets, man. I'm saying this is Darwin approved stuff. Go over to sunsetlakecbd.com and check out the full range of what they have. This is Vermont grown right to your door and they're giving you 20% off. So put in the promo code NSR20 when you're checking out. You're going to get 20% off your whole order. And I know you're going to love it. They even have subscription options open for you. So you don't forget to get your medicine. Go check out Sunset Lake CBD, everybody. Hey, everyone. Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters here to let you know that my podcast Inside the Musician's Brain is back on the airwaves for season four, which means it's time once again to get deep with influential musicians from all across the musical landscape to really understand and translate the lessons of success, failure, inspiration and hard work that are behind the music and the artists that we love. My guests this season include Rachel Price from Lake Street Dives, Sam Bush, Chris Wood, Chris Funk from The Decemberists, Lindsay Liu, MC Taylor from His Golden Messenger, and more. Check us out, and thanks for listening. We're so excited to tell you a bit about today's sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They are a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Music Masters Collective events give you the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Otil Burbridge, Steve Earle, Richard Thompson, former members of the band, the Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, the Fab Foe, and Sean Colvin, and so many more. At an event like the Milk Carton Kids Sad Song Summer Camp, happening this July, you can expect immersive classes, evenings of entertainment, excellent food, and a space for a lucky group of folks to learn, co-write, workshop, and perform with like-minded peers, all with the guidance of Kenneth Pattengale, Joey Ryan, and some of their favorite songwriters. This all-inclusive week in the Catskill Mountains of upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available and spots are extremely limited. So visit www.sadsongsummercamp.com forward slash simple to learn more. That's www.sadsongsummercamp.com forward slash simple. Check it out. simple road family what's happening welcome back it's aaron coming from the porch hope everybody's having a good week enjoying themselves and you know the most important thing is that we're all cool to each other really i mean that's what it comes down to is being cool to each other at the end of the day we have one rule at the chapel day pad and that rule is don't be a dick and you know what man 
that rule fucking encompasses everything so follow that rule guys and i think everything will be all right so this week we got something cool for you we interviewed tom from colorado and you know with the changes in the band lineup with dead and company with john mayer coming on board and everything that's happened since 95 even really a lot of people have shit to talk and i even remember when i was coming up we were called touchheads because you know we got into the dead during the touch of gray era and people talked a lot of shit i remember i was at cal expo at the last camping shows that happened there and i was the only one of my friends that got into the show and I walked in and I found my spot there on the floor at Cal Expo and I was like kind of nervous and I was by myself and I remember Jerry came out on the stage and he was wearing shorts and the dude next to me was like, oh man, Jerry's wearing shorts. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Gives a shit what Jerry's wearing. And then the guy next to me was like, hey brother, you want to smoke some Illinois North Slope Neopollinated trip weed? And I was like, well, fuck, who wouldn't want to fucking smoke some Illinois North Slope Neopollinated trip weed? So I took a couple hits off that guy's pipe and started, you know, opening up a little bit. And then it's kind of cotton mouthed and I had gotten in there by myself. I didn't have anything to drink. I was not prepared and I was still like, you know, tripping out a little bit. And the guy next to me was like, hey, brother, you want a sip of my Gatorade? And I was like, sure. And I took a sip of his Gatorade and he said, see you later with that, you know, merry prankster grin on his face. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm going to trip by myself and I wasn't ready for this tonight. And this is going to suck. And I had a really bad bad feeling in my stomach and dead started playing and i fucking lost my cookies that night and at set break i was tripping out everything that was going on was like a reflection of my inner space and it was like exposing all these insecurities in me and i i was trying to find the way out of cal expo and i couldn't find the fucking exit and i went and i sat over in the concession area there was a concession like I don't know, area, and they were selling food and nachos and hot dogs and cookies and beer and whatever, and everybody was kind of sitting on the ground over there picnicking to set break, and I, I sit down on the ground, and I'm like, oh, fuck, kind of like rocking back and forth, like, oh, fuck, I'm fucking freaking out, and everybody that's talking around me is talking about me in my head, and I'm tripping out, and then the lady behind me is like, and these younger deadheads, all they do is fucking throw their beer bottles all over the place and they're just ruining the scene. And I was just freaking out. And I, I just wanted to leave so bad. And I, in the middle of the second set, I was tripping so hard. I finally found the exit and there was still camping. And I had parked my van in the camping lot. But you needed a wristband to get back in there. And I had lost my fucking wristband. And I remember walking up to the security guard trying to go into the lot just to get... I wanted to go back to my van and my dog and my friends. And he was like, where's your wristband? And I'm like, bro, I don't have my wristband. I'm fucking tripping out. And he's like, well, you can't can't come into the lot if you don't have your wristband. And I started crying. And I was like, look, brother, I, I just want to go back to my van and my dog, man. And he was like, oh, okay, okay, bro, okay. Just go back to your van and your dog. So point of that long story is... Older heads seem to give younger heads a lot of shit, man. And I'll tell you what, that's not what the scene is about. That's not who we are as a family, you guys. We gotta accept everybody. If you get the music and you love it, then you're then you're fucking on the bus. Who cares how old you are? You know, if we went by that line of thinking, you guys, this whole scene would have been dead in 1969. So 
stop it, all right? Be nice to each other, be kind, be excellent. And teach these younger kids what's going on if you're older, man. Show them the ropes. Take them under your wing. Shit. So, my point to all of that is this week we got Tom. Tom is a younger head from Colorado who got on the bus a couple of years ago. And I'll tell you what, man, this kid surprised me. He's got a great head on his shoulders, super interesting. And I'll tell you what, he loves the music just as much as you and I do. And he is part of the family. So that's that. The business part of this thing. Check us out on Instagram at No Simple Road. Check us out on Facebook. Go by on iTunes. This is the most important thing. iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Those three things, if you head on over there and you search the show, that's the important thing is searching in the search function of those apps. And find us in there at No Simple Road. Go down to the review section. Give us a rating, you guys. It takes you five seconds. You're already listening to the show right now. Pick up your phone. Search the show in the app that you're listening to us on. And leave us a little rating. Leave us a review. Those things help this show grow. That's the way that iTunes and Google and Stitcher and all those things rate their shows. And they put them in that new and noteworthy section out there. Now, the point is so that more of us can know that we're out there, so that we can connect, so that we can build community, so that the vibration that we're all sharing right now goes out and it ripples out and it creates change and it creates love. So leave us a review so that more people can find out about the show. And then also, I've said this before, we're recording the show with one mic, guys. And we want to get another mic for the show. Everybody that lives in the house works a regular job and we're all just making ends meet. So I thought if we could all come together as a family and help each other out, help us get another mic for the show, that would be cool. And the way you can do that is by going by our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash no simple road. At Patreon, you can give as little as a dollar a month. Now think about that. If you break down a dollar a month, you know, it's not very much money every day. So, you know. But if enough of you guys do that, we can get ourselves another mic, and then the show sounds better. And then you aren't like, wow, Melanie sounds like she's 20 feet away from the table. No, it won't sound like that anymore because you helped us get another mic. And it's something we can all feel good about, and it's cool, and we'll keep the train rolling on the tracks. And that's patreon.com forward slash no simple road. And last but not least is the Amazon link. At the bottom of our webpage, nosimpleroad.com, is an Amazon link. If you're going to buy something off of Amazon, you're going to do it anyway. Go to nosimpleroad.com first. Go to the bottom of the page. Click through that link. And whenever you buy on Amazon, they'll send us a little portion of that. And we'll put it in the account for the No Simple Road crew. And we'll get us that mic. So we love you guys. And we appreciate all your feedback. And that's the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. Send us your feedback. Keep it coming, guys. We've received some really beautiful letters from you guys. We've received some really beautiful recordings, notes, suggestions, all of it. We appreciate it. It lets us know we're doing a good job. It lets us know that you're vibing with the show. If you've had a recent cool trip, if you've realized something lately, if you found some new connection in your life and you want to share it with the crew, grab your phone, hit the voice recorder, and send us a five to ten minute little snippet. And we'll play it up here on the show and other people will hear it and we'll all feel like we're more family than we already are. So that's a cool thing. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I give you Tom from Colorado. 
Yeah, what's going on? You hear us okay, brother? Yeah, I can hear you great. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yes. Awesome. How's it going, guys? Good, man. Good, good. How's your day? Pretty good, man. Just finished a day of work. And I am sparking a joint. So we're gonna as you call. We're gonna do the same thing. <laughs> let's let's smoke that joint, Alex. Yeah. Is this gonna reach? Here's a lighter. What'd you say? Is this will this reach the Yeah, yeah. So you finished a day at work. What do you do? Um I work for a uh well we're originally a food truck. We have a restaurant now, but we're called Super Heady Tacos. And uh we started off as a festival taco cart. We still do festivals, but uh, we're now focused more on boulder-based operations. Oh, cool. And, yeah, and we're basically just a bunch of freaks who, you know, sell tacos and have a good time. It's, a, it's, it's, we're, it's uh, really just a way for you to get into festivals, isn't it? Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, I... I I definitely take the work very seriously, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's not a bad perk, you know, just getting to travel and being on the payroll while you're at it. And what a beautiful place, dude. I lived, this is Apple. I, I lived, I lived in Boulder for, for about nine months back in my early twenties and worked in Broomfield. Yeah, man, I'm loving it out here. I, uh, I came out here about four months ago, actually. So I'm pretty new. So Tom, like, you you contacted us and and um, just basically gave us a thumbs up on the show and told us you were digging it and and all that. And um, I was talking to Melanie, and I don't know how I found out how old you were, but I knew that somehow. And uh, she was like, "It would be really cool to get like a younger Deadheads perspective." on the show like to to know how how you got turned on and and like how how the music has affected you i mean even looking like back at your instagram feed like i i went way back in your instagram and you could you could totally see a metamorphosis of of this of this dude (laughs) growing up man it's really really cool like you're this wide-eyed kid that's clean shaven short-haired glasses like having fun with your friends at school and then all of a sudden by the end like you're at a show and wearing tie-dye with a beard and long hair smoking a joint (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're not wrong about that so uh yeah man um you know i guess i'll just start at the beginning yeah let's hear it uh so you know since i was a young kid i was into like classic rock you know mostly through my parents uh my uh, my mom had uh, Skeletons in the Closet, the Grateful Dead compilation, and uh, I listened to that when I was a little, little kid. I remember my favorite song on it was Mexicali Blues, and uh, I remember the first time I saw Steal Your Face ever, I got a little steely sticker out of like one of the little quarter machines, and I was like, Mom, what is this? She's like, oh, that's the Grateful Dead sign. People put it on their cars. And I was like, well, you should put it on your car. <laughs> so, so, you, so, you know, I was introduced to the dead uh, pretty young. But for a while, they were just kind of another classic rock band to me, you know. Um, and it wasn't until pretty much when I started experimenting with psychedelics that I started to, you know, really get it on a deeper level. I was probably, 
I think I was about 18. I, I definitely started uh, experimenting when I was 18. I think I downloaded my first dead bootleg when I was like 18. So, and uh, yeah, so trying to think. Well, tell me, tell me, tell me something, Tom. I, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I'm wondering, uh-huh. like, when we all have this like weird path that led us to where we're at now and psychedelics and the, and the music and all that. I'm curious, like you said, it wasn't until that you got into psychedelics that, that you really started getting the music on a deeper level. What was your first psychedelic experience? How old were you? Okay. I was, I was 18 years old. Uh, I was like a month into college and it was mushrooms and uh my my best friend we'd been curious about it for a while and just couldn't find them and uh finally we found some mushrooms ate them and uh i just remember thinking oh my god the entire way that i think about everything has been deconstructed <laughs> yeah yeah like those first initial trips are really something when when you've been living default reality for a long time your whole life and the veil finally gets pulled back it can really be strange like did i know that like when i started taking psychedelics and apple and i first started experimenting and stuff when when i started hearing that that thing in the music that other side i felt like we were the only ones that knew about it like it was like this secret thing did you get into the feeling like that at all was that common or is that something that's unique to us Definitely, definitely. So first it was one friend, then a couple more. But yeah, I felt like we were part of this secret club and no one else knew anything about it. That, you know, we were somehow wise to the truth of the universe that somehow everyone else had missed. Which, you know, in retrospect is a very naive position. But, uh, you know, I think that's part of, I mean, you uh, spoke of that sort of in your own story yeah yeah it's it's a trip like so talking to other people that are on this trip you know that i'm finding out through these conversations that we all have these like weird common threads that that are tie us all together and and it's weird man like i can remember sitting in apple's room and listening to um the doors and american prayer and i had heard that Mm -hmm. have you heard that album before uh no. Well, go listen to it tonight after we stop talking. It's awesome. Great. But it's 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 okay. it's Doors music with Morrison's poetry. And I had heard it before my okay. my older brother had played it for me a couple of times and it it sounded like just babble, like words that didn't go anywhere. And then we were tripping one night in Apple's room and we were playing that album and it fucking made sense. Like he was talking just to us and I was like, "Holy shit, man." what the fuck is going on? And I remember that feeling of like, wow, nobody else knows. Like we're understanding Morrison. Like nobody else can understand Morrison, man. Right. Yeah. And, and when you're younger, it's, you know, it's, it's overwhelming, but yeah, you feel special. Like, Oh my God, I'm the one that figured it all out, you know? And, uh, lo and behold, many have before me and, uh, many will, still after us totally and then like i i know like um so how long after that experience and and like 
you know, taking mushrooms and hanging out with your friends and whatever you guys were doing. How long after that was it that like you started listening to the dead and and figured that out? All right. So uh, that was the beginning of college, like beginning of my freshman year. Uh, summer after my freshman year, I went to my first festival, Bonnaroo. Uh, I'm from East Tennessee, so Bonnaroo was basically in our backyard. And uh, that was the year of uh, Fish and Radiohead. And yeah, and so I was a, I was a huge Radiohead fan, and Red Hot Chili Peppers were there. I was a huge fan of them. It's my first festival ever, and uh, at this point, I was pretty, uh, you know, I'd been experimenting for nine months or so. And I'll never forget on the first night that we set up camp, this guy just walked up to me and asked me if I wanted to buy acid. And I was like, oh, my God, this is real. <laughs> you know, this is actually happening. And uh, so, yeah, that Sunday saw Fish for the first time. And that was really my first jam show. And, uh, you know, I didn't really have a concept that, like, taping was a thing until uh, people were taping Bonnaroo performances. And I found that. So I found the Fish Bonnaroo performance and listened back to that a lot. Um and even after that, it took me a couple of years. Fast forward. Um, so I think this is like, I was about 21 at the time, and I went up to uh, Gathering the Vibes in Connecticut. And, uh, you know, I, I was like starting to become aware. Panic was one of the headliners. Panic's huge down south. You know, they're from Athens. Um, but this was actually a Northeast festival. And so Saturday night, Widespread Panic was the headliner, and I just got super dosed out of my gourd, and I remember my eyes were closed, and I had these insane visuals of like a, like a heart rate line, but it was going in synchronization to Jimmy Herring's guitar. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and yeah, and that was the moment where it clicked. That was the moment where it clicked for me, man, where I was like, oh, my God, here it is. This is what I've been looking for this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I found it. <laughs> and it's so cool when that when that moment comes and you and you like you open up your eyes and you look around at the people around you and you realize, oh, my God, all these people are fucking grooving on the exact same thing I am. <laughs> Right, yeah. That was a big part of it, too. Like, not only was I having this beautiful, amazing, transformative experience, but everyone around me was. Yeah. So, and we were all kind of having it together. That's that's the that's the thing, like, that all through my... I mean, it's been shit, man. My first Dead show was February of 1989. And that's the thing that's kept me going back over and over and over again is I can't think of any place that we can all get together where all different types of people are there and we all get along and we're all like ready to do the same thing and focused and intentional on this one fucking awesome shit that's about to go down and then not to mention the fucking the telepathy that happens that that interplay between the band and the audience and how the music is moving and you're shaping it and it's shaping you. And like, dude, there's no, no place I'd rather be to quote a Tennessee song. <laughs> there you go. 
No, absolutely, man. I remember I remember specifically during that panic set they did uh Maggot Brain, Funkadelic's Maggot Brain. Shit. And uh that was one that I I already knew and loved. You know, that was probably the only song that I recognized in the set. But I was just like, Oh my god, this is beautiful. This is exactly what I want to be doing with my life <laughs> is chasing this forever. Yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah, so that was about that was about three years ago, man, and uh, <laughs> it's been a wild ride since then. Yeah, I mean, I it's a trip. Like, I don't know you. I know you from Instagram, and we've emailed back and forth. But instantly, just because you and I have shared this common experience separate from each other, we have this bond. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's crazy to me. It's crazy. It, like I've got family and friends all over the country that I don't even know. <laughs> Definitely, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I mean, walk around, you know, someone I've never met in my life. Uh, you know, if it's at a show or whatever, I just, you know, if I know they're ahead, I just feel comfortable talking to them like I've known them for 10 years, you know? And that's just such a strange thing. Beautiful, strange thing. Yeah, and strangers stopping strangers just to shake their hand. Like, I I just wonder, like, you know, everybody gives John Mayer such shit. And a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's not the dead and all that, the whole thing. And I'm just curious, like, you've seen Dead & Company, right? I, I have. I've seen them once per tour so far. Right. So, like... What's your opinion on the whole thing? Like you, you didn't ever get to see Jerry, and like when you got turned on to the dead, it was from recordings and all that. So you don't have that. You don't have that thing. You're not missing anything, right? Like, right. Uh, well, I mean, um, I do. I mean, I definitely feel like I'm missing something. Never having gotten to see Jerry. Actually, uh, a long time ago, there's still like a year or two ago, I had a dream that I was going to see Dead & Company. It was advertised as Dead & Company, and I was going to Shoreline. I've never even been to Shoreline, but this was the dream. So I go, I walk inside the show, and surprise, it's Jerry up there. Oh, shit. And I'm just, I'm, I'm amazed and just, like, can't believe it, and I'm dancing and having a great time. And then I wake up, and I realize it's a dream, and I literally burst into tears <laughs> oh, wow. like 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 oh my god that that wasn't real that sucks <laughs> you know so um you know i mean uh and that's just something i'll have to deal with i have caught a lot of great shows i'm a huge fish fan huge panic fan and uh you know i i managed to make it up to fairly well chicago um what did you what did you think of the fairly well shows man me and me and apple melanie my daughter and a buddy of mine from work were all there. I'm curious, what was what was we your take? Saturday, Sunday show. Yeah, we caught Saturday and Sunday. What what was your take? Yeah. What was your take, man? Uh, I mean, uh, from a sociocultural perspective, it was the single greatest experience in my life. <laughs> it felt like it felt like it, that was exactly where I was supposed to be in that moment, and you know. Uh, as someone who's always felt like somewhat of an outsider, that was really big for me. Uh, musically, I really enjoyed it, man. You know, I mean, it, they had their flubs. They had their fuck-ups. So did Jerry when he was alive, man. Uh, but, I, you know, musically, I really enjoyed it. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, that, for the for me, the big part of that was getting to experience strangers stopping strangers, you know. Uh, so yeah, that's my take on the well. well that crowd, that crowd, seventy five thousand, seventy five thousand people in Soldier Field right. was just an overwhelming feeling. When you just said that it was the single greatest moment, like, it, you gave me goosebumps because we felt the same way. <laughs> it, it was just a yeah, amazing. I mean. There were so many moments too, you know, uh, when when the whole crowd was singing Tennessee Jet, I was like, oh my god, they're singing for me right now, you know. <laughs> yeah. And Sunday night, trucking opened the second set, and everyone in that whole fucking stadium was singing along. And then later to end the set, the not fade away. You know, minutes. I just never thought I, would, yeah, I just never thought I'd get to experience something like that in my life. And just the fact that I was able to be there for it, you know, I'll I'll remember that for the rest of my life very fondly. It was it was cool too. Like for Apple and I, I, I was never a huge fish fan, and um, it was a trip to to see Trey and to hear him like that and be high and hear it. And I at at fairly well, I'm like, oh shit, this is why people go see fish. You know what I mean? Like. It was crazy. And then we got to see them not like a month after that at the forum in L.A. And I I felt like such a dummy, man. I was like, oh, my God, how did I miss this? Right. Yeah. And I mean, even I, you know, I've missed a lot of shows just by being late to the bus myself. But, uh, you know, since I've found it, I've caught as much as I can. I uh, just made my first dicks this year, and it was incredible, man. They, those boys are really on to something. Yeah, for sure. Have you have you gotten a chance to see J-Rad yet? Uh, yeah, I've seen J-Rad a handful of times. I saw them at the Ryman in Nashville. Really, if, you've never, if you're not aware of the Ryman, it's an old historic venue in Nashville right downtown. Very small, just about 2,000 seats, and it used to be a church, so all the seats are church pews, and it feels like you're in church when you're there. Oh, and uh, yeah, J. Rad played there, and it was just great, man. They yeah, they, and it was they have yeah. a thing, man, that like I always say they're they're relentless. Like at, by the time we got to the m- middle part of the second set, I was fucking exhausted, like so tired but right, i couldn't yeah. like, like i would want him to be stopped i'd be like god just play something slow but no no you're getting up and dancing like you're gonna dance all night and you're gonna be soaked in sweat the slow songs they play up tempo bay you know like that's their whole thing yeah and they they and they fuck with you too like how people like to call songs before they oh, oh they're going into throwing stones oh it's gonna be tennessee jed they'll fuck with you and tease songs and then go into something completely different yeah, man, they're they're just such a fun band. I mean, you know, one of my one of my good friends, uh, you know, another huge jam fan. You know, he explains it like this. He says J Rad is they just use the Dead's catalog as a uh, as a vehicle for their own you know their own sound their own their own trip so to speak. And I think that's very accurate to say. Totally. Yeah, that's a wow. I never heard anybody put it like that. That's cool. That's. For sure. And it's cool, too. Like, I heard or read an interview with, um, I think it was Bobby. And Bobby was saying that he had a dream that 
he was on stage with John Mayer and the rest of the guys, Dead and Company, and that, or maybe, shit, I can't remember correctly. I'm stoned now. Might have even been John Mayer. <laughs> oh, it was. It was John. And John was saying he was playing guitar and with everybody in the band. And he looked over, and it was somebody else standing next to him. It wasn't Bobby. It was some guy with long hair. And he realized, holy shit, this thing's going to keep going even after these guys are gone. Like, it's going to live forever. Right. Here's one. Like, to, I, uh, I guess I never directly answered my uh, opinions on Dead & Company. Yeah. Uh, the, my, one, my one big thing that I'm not thrilled about is just they play the song so fucking slow, man. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, they... You know, I mean, but, you know, I've been, I've, I've seen Dead & Company once per tour so far. Um, and, yeah, you know, you go to the show and it's the same feeling, it's the same crowd. And, uh, you know, uh, for me, it's big getting to see Bob and Bill and Mickey up there. And, yeah. uh, you know, I've got no issues with John. I think he's a great player. And if the boys trust him, then he's family, you know. That's a great attitude. I wish everybody had that attitude, man. There, you look on, like... I hate to even say the word, but you look on like Facebook and there's so much arguing in the groups about like John Mayer, how dare he? And he, oh, John Mayer's family. And, and no, he's not. And I miss Jerry. And if it's not Jerry, it's not the dead. And it's like, come on, man. Like, then don't go see Joe Russo's almost dead. Don't don't go see, you know, Pink Talking Fish are dead. Don't don't go do any of it. <laughs> Stay and home and listen to Skeletons in the Closet. Also, the thing that upsets me and Aaron, too, is <laughs> that we think this is so awesome. Like, sitting here talking to you at your age, we want that. There's a lot of older heads like us that are against it. They're like these young punks at the show. And, and, and it, it makes us kind of upset. We wish everybody would embrace you guys and everything like we do. Well, yeah, I really appreciate hearing that. And, and I will say, you know, maybe this is just like a gravitational thing, but a lot of the older heads I have talked to have been really cool and been, been like, yeah, we're, you know, we're glad it's still going. So I, I think a lot of the old heads who have, uh, you know, the anti-youth mentality have kind of gotten out of the scene themselves. And forgotten what, the, what maybe, it is. Maybe. <laughs> right, forgotten what it's all about. Yeah, I mean, look, man. It's hard. Life is hard all by itself. It can be really tough. And then you add psychedelics into the mix and it makes it even tougher. And then you add feeling different on top of that. And that's a that's a recipe for disaster. And then you find this thing and this group of people that you fit with and that get you where you can go out of your mind together and embrace this chaos and help mold it and shape it and be in it. And it's a beautiful thing. And why would that be closed to anybody based on their age? If you're there and you're able to think, then you qualify, in my opinion. Definitely, man. And, and you know, here's the thing, man. It's, it's bigger than the Grateful Dead, too. Bigger than Fish and Widespread Panic. You know, I've been to, uh, you know, I've been to a couple of regional burns and... You know, just living in Boulder, you run into a lot of freaks, man. And it's like, uh, it's all the same shit. You know, it doesn't matter what music you're listening to or, you know, uh, what substance you're on to a certain extent. It's like, you know, if you're hip, you're hip. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Amen, and, uh, you know, why can't we all just uh, get along? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it. 
It's funny that you say that. We went, um, uh, I think, in April to go see Radiohead. And I, I've always liked Radiohead. It's one of me and Melanie's favorites. And, and Apple loves it, too. And I had no, I mean, I knew they were awesome and they were trippy. But I had no idea what I was in store for at that show, man. It was definitely one of the most mind-blowing experiences of my life. Yes. It's up right up there with my first Ed show. Oh yeah, man. They they do wild things. I've been I've been a big radio fan Radiohead fan for a number of years, well before I got into drugs. And you know, even when I was just like a sober fifteen year old, I was like, Whoa, this is crazy, you know? And uh but yeah, go, going back to my first Bonnaroo back in twenty twelve, you know, seeing Radiohead and then fish for the first time in the same weekend. That was definitely a very formative experience. My God, man! I mean, when you left that, when like the okay, you go th- you go have the weekend, right? And you you trip and you see Radiohead, and your mind is fucking exploded, and you've poured your emotion out all over the floor, and then the crowd picks it up, and the band takes it, and they swirl it around in this big soup, and they pour it back over your head, and then. The next night, you go see Fish, and they take that whole thing and are bouncing it on a trampoline and throwing glow sticks all over the place. And then, you you know, you leave all wide-eyed with these big, two big saucers in your face, like, just stumbling out of there. Like, what was going through your head after that when you left that show? Do you remember, like, what was, what you were thinking about life and the world and all that? Like, what was happening? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, seeing fish for the first time, I thought, I have no idea what's going on, but I know I like it. <laughs> and so that that mentality kind of stuck with me, man. You know, from that point on, that was kind of how I approached things. Just, uh, you know, um, a lot of uncertainty ahead, but either way, it's going to be a lot of fun, you know. Yeah, it's, it's um, kind of like and that, that's it's kind of like knowing that you're gonna land on a trampoline, but you can't see it. <laughs> you're just falling. You're like, ah, yeah, I'm falling. It feels exactly. cool. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I don't know. That's kind of how I walk through my life now. Is just uh, kind of uh, stumbling around, just taking it all in with a grin on my face. You know, it was it was huge for me. I'll tell you, man. I mean that. That perspective, a lot of people would look at that perspective on on life and and say, oh, you fucking stoner. You know what I mean? Oh, you burn out, whatever they would say. And I got to tell you, man, that's for how old are you? 23? 24. Okay, so for a 24-year-old, that's huge, man. To be able to relax into life and allow experiences to happen and not be anxious and not be um, fucking dragged along by the wave of fear and bullshit that's out there and have that presence of mind to just have a grin on your face and just be like yeah and I know that wherever I place my foot on the path is the right step and I'm going and here we go and I, I even said that the other night brother I was we were talking to Chris out here and I was telling her, like, I never really had a fucking plan, man. Like, I wasn't like, when I grow up, I want to be a famous podcaster. I, I kind of stumbled my way, like you said, just stumbling through to the next thing, whatever it was, because it felt good and it was fun. Well, it's, it's funny that you mentioned not having a plan, because up until that point, I thought I had a plan. 
Um, you know, when I was, I mean, uh, you know, I was a fairly intelligent kid, got good grades and was involved in, uh, academic kind of stuff. And, you know, I thought, you know, I'm going to do all this school and then become a professor and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, uh, that's still in, in my mind, that's still an admirable thing to do, but I, I've come to the conclusion that that's not the lifestyle that I want to live. And, but it's funny cause I, I had this plan or at least I thought I did. And then, uh, yeah, you know, my outlook on it's like, Oh, you know what? It's more fun if I don't have a plan. Yeah, just kind of going with the flow and and seeing where the day takes you. And I mean, not for nothing, but it it does make sense to like know what you like and know what you want to do and know where you want to be. You know, that's okay. And, and, you know, for those people out there that do have a plan, I don't there's nothing wrong with that. But I'll tell you what, if I had pushed and pulled on my life along the way, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. And I wouldn't have had all these amazing experiences along the way. I wouldn't be married to the girl I'm married to. Like all those things happened because I was relaxing into life and not really pushing, you know? Right. Absolutely. Just kind of, uh, you know, seeing what floats down the stream and just, you know, kind of going with it. Absolutely, man. And uh, I definitely feel like my life has changed for the better since I adopted that kind of mentality. And, you know, I'm also, I mean, I'm still a very driven person. Uh, You know, I I work very hard for this company. I, I work 60 plus hours a week regularly. And, you know, the thing is, it takes a very unique kind of person to be at a festival and, you know, drinking, partying, doing whatever, but also working your ass off at the same time. Yeah. It It takes a very. Yeah, it does. It totally does. It takes a certain kind of person to be able to do it. And I'll tell you what, man, like done a lot of drugs and I don't wear that as a badge of honor. It's just something that I've done. I, I chose that for myself and I've had to suffer the repercussions of it, but I'll tell you what, I've been able to get myself to become a, an engineer for a pretty big uh, telecommunications company in the midst of that. I've had a successful marriage for 20 years. I've raised two awesome kids. I fucking live in one of the nicest neighborhoods in Portland. Like Those things don't really, that's not how I judge my success, but I'll tell you what, it's sure nice to be able to to know that, that I, you know, I'm driven enough to handle my shit, to handle my business. I don't want to be sleeping on a cardboard box. No, hell no, man. I mean, that, you know, that's the thing is, uh, uh, okay, here's, uh, there's like an old English term. It's called, uh, coddly wample or something. I might be mispronouncing that, but the definition is, uh, to move forward, Without knowledge of where you're going, but with purpose nonetheless. Oh, shit. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah. And so, and that's funny, uh, you know, to, to use the F word, I saw that on Facebook a while back. But I thought, you know what? That resonates with me. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, it's, it's, I, I had a talk with another podcaster the other day, and, and um, we were talking about I said, you know, man, when I when I first heard your show, it was like you were speaking the stuff in my head that I couldn't get out. 
And he was like, well, you know, about that, man, we're all sharing this universal mind. So maybe it's our thoughts that I was speaking, not just mine. And I think that's the thing that we find. Like you see that thing on Facebook and that's that universal mind kind of reaching out and reminding you, hey, I'm out here and I'm in there and I could speak to you through anything. I I, I don't know. I, I the whole social media thing. I, maybe I'm old. I don't know. You know, but it's just a. Uh, it seems like at this point it's doing more harm than good. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, um, I think if you look at most kids my age, they spend more time looking at their phone than they do looking at the world around them. And you know, I mean, I you know, I have my vices. Uh, you know, I have a smartphone. I like to browse the internet, but you know, I I mean, I definitely unplug from that you know if i go for a hike i usually don't bring my phone uh sometimes i leave the house and run errands and just don't take my phone with me you know and that's important to me to keep that that balance in my life that's what i was just gonna say like there's balance in everything and and you gotta you gotta know where your where your limits are and i don't take that like uh uh, direction from outside of me too much anymore as I've gotten older like you know you should drink eight glasses of water a day you should eat three meals a day like that kind of shit like I don't know man you should only have two hours of social media a week or whatever they're fucking saying now it's like you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna do what makes me feel good and what takes care of me and what nourishes my mind and my spirit and my soul and you know do what thou wilt kind of thing like I'm not, right. you know, the world's not going to dictate to me how I'm going to live my life anymore. I've decided to live a different way. I think we all have. And that's where we find our commonality. Absolutely. And for me, you know, um, uh, needs, be they, uh, you know, physical, biological, existential, whatever your needs may be, you know, a lot of the times those can be fluid, you know, those can change with life situations or uh, you know, day of the week or whatever the hell. And so I think it's important to be flexible in that, too. And, uh, you know, I, a mantra that I say to myself is do what feels right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And as you get older, brother, I'll tell you, man, that that um, little voice in your head, whatever you want to call it, I, I don't know. But whatever that is, it gets louder and louder. And with your experience behind it, your intuition gets stronger and, and you know what feels cause sometimes something could feel right. And then you end up fucking sleeping in a ditch for the night. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. I mean, it's, it, it's not absolute. Nothing in this universe is absolute, but, uh, even though that was an absolute statement, God damn it. Wow. Uh, <laughs> So, but uh, you know uh, that you're right. It's not absolute, but it's it's still a rule of thumb that up to this point has served me pretty well. Yeah. I'm I'm in a pretty good life situation, and so I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing for now. So, like, I mean, hearing your story, you know, you're this kid and you're in school and you and you're. It's, thinking about this academic path because that's what society has dictated. And, you know, it seems like that's the right way to go because you got a good head on your shoulders. And then, you know, you discover this other place and this other thing. And it kind of, it, I don't want to say derail because derail means that you might've crashed, but like 
Get, reroute. Yeah, re, yeah, thank you. It re, thank you. I'm stoned again. It rerouted the rest of your oh, life. No, yeah, no. rerouted the rest of your life, and it helped you to to like be able to figure things out on a more personal, experiential level. You know what I'm saying? And it's huge to be able to to say that at at 24. First of all, and then also, it's amazing to me to sit back and have this conversation with you, and look at what just something as simple as jam bands and psychedelics going together have done. Right, man. Because, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, I got into the psychedelics before the jam bands. I feel like, I kind of feel like for most people it's the other way around. Uh, that's a generalization that could easily be false. But, uh, I mean, I've, I've also been a big music, I mean, I, I, uh, I've been playing music since I was a small kid. And, I've all, you know, music has always been a huge part of my life. And, uh, you know, for me, what clicked with the dead and fish is this, I was already, you know, familiar with the psychedelic experience and I knew how I felt. And I said, holy shit, they're, uh, you know, they're channeling that feeling through their instruments. And that's, you know, the marriage of probably the two most significant things in my life, music and psychedelics. You know? Yeah, and and I think uh, this is something that I'm just learning recently, man. Uh, well, okay, I, I don't know if if it's fully there or if it's fully realized, but the thing is, like, you talk about this marriage between the feeling and channeling that feeling through the instrument. It's when we start doing that with everything in our life that's important to us, like uh, me doing that, channeling that feeling and that emotion into a podcast or doing a drawing for somebody or myself or cooking a good dinner for the family or um, having a conversation with you or talking to my friends, any of those things, I can channel that emotion the same way that it would channel it through a guitar or a bass or a drum set. And that, that consciousness comes out in that thing. And then we have this connection and it starts talking to itself that universal mind starts talking to itself back because I mean, at the, at the core of it, we're all just like these expressions of this universal mind and in these meat bodies, right. Talking to itself over and over again for its own enjoyment. And when we do that, when we channel that feeling and that love and that energy into a conversation or a dinner or an instrument, it resonates with itself back outside of us. And that's, I think that's the, the thing that we find when we go there. Yeah, man. And if I if I can just bring, you know, an anecdote in this, uh, you know, we're working a festival on the food truck when we've got a line 150 people deep and they're all a bunch of spoon kids. <laughs> um, you know, it's hectic, man. It's crazy. You got to go fast pace. There's no time to even think you just got to go with the flow. And uh you know, so one of my uh, one of my favorite fish songs is "Run Like an Antelope." Set your gear shift to the high gear control. You got to run like an antelope out of control. And you know, a lot of the times when I'm on the truck and it's really fucking busy, I'll just be hearing antelope in my head, <laughs> honestly. And it's almost like uh, I tap into that same energy to get my job done and to feed a bunch of hungry hippies. You know, totally. And it's funny to me, like you're saying that and it, you're, you're chanting this mantra of these, you know, run like an antelope out of control in your head as you're working. And dude, there's no difference between this, what you're talking about, and a Buddhist 
or a Hindu or whoever chanting Om Mani Padme Om or Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. It's the same thing. It's just our channel. It's the, the radio station that we tune to. We like that song. So that's the song we sing to each it's other. Just our channel. Yeah. I I've never thought of it like that, man. But that I really like that. You're, I think, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, man. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, there's there's all different kinds of people out there, and everybody's had different experiences based on geographic life. You know, I, I didn't grow up by a river in near the Ganges in India. And I grew up in Vegas in L.A. So those things that turn those people on aren't going to be the same things that turn me on. It's a different channel. It's a different radio station. And we just happened to find the, the music station that we dig. And, you know, you and I having this conversation is you and I singing to each other in that tune. And we understand it. We can hear it. Well, uh, you know, I, let, me, let me talk a little bit about, like, uh, you know, growing up in the South. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, you get the Southern stereotypes, and, and to a certain extent, some of it's true. You know, there's, uh, there's some good hicks out there. But, you know, there's also a lot of good, regular people, you know, just forward-thinking people. But uh, the, the Allman Brothers, I also grew up on the Allman Brothers. My dad's a yeah. huge Brothers fan. And, you know, you think about they were doing what the Deb was doing in San Francisco, only they were doing it in Georgia. And, you know, uh, you and, uh, you know, widespread panics come after that. Uh, you know, Colonel Bruce and Aquarium, you know, the whole Allman Brothers family is now a thing. Uh, Warren Haynes government really just talked about them a few episodes ago. Um, you know, this whole psychedelic family has come out of the South which is, no, you know, thought of as a conservative part of the country, the world, whatever. And, uh, you know, it's just a beautiful thing. There's a huge psychedelic community in the South, you know. Um, and you, you, I contrast that to, you know, now being in Boulder out West where, you know, it's, it's generally a more progressive society and uh but you know i don't know uh, i walk around downtown and you know i see people walking out of the yoga studios or i see people carrying rocks and i think i you know i don't want to be judgmental but i feel like in this town in particular a lot of it is fashion if you will you know what i mean spirituality is fashion yeah and i don't know that's that's something that I experience out here that I definitely did not experience at all back home. Uh, that, you know, it, if, you know, back in the South, if you're wearing a tie-dye Grateful Dead t-shirt, it means you're a fucking head. Out here, it means, uh, you know, I, I want to be cool too, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, you know, once again, that's a generalization. Maybe I'm just an asshole, but, uh, you know, that's something I've run into. We get it. Yeah, I mean, I saw a Grateful Dead, like an old, tattered, steal-your-face Grateful Dead shirt in the mall in California at Abercrombie & Fitch, dude. Right, man, that's what I'm talking about. And and you know what? Okay, I'm I'm on one hand, I think about that, and I'm like, that's actually kind of cool. Like, they're going to, whoever buys that shirt might turn the music on and then in turn get turned on. You know what I mean? 
So that that way, it, yeah. it's kind of cool. But then on the other hand, it's like Jesus Christ, it's come to this. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, I've got a great example for you. Well, I mean, like a comedic example. Uh, so the Woody Allen movie Manhattan. There, he uh, he's in New York. Obviously, there's a scene where he goes to California, and he's talking about how he hates the Californians because they're all fake. And then he walks out of the screen. And uh, Jeff Goldblum walks on. This was actually Jeff Goldblum's first time in a major movie, and it was a cameo. He call, he gets on the phone. He calls up his psychiatrist. He says, hey, Doc, I forgot my mantra. And that's just like, uh, I don't know, a metaphor. For... <laughs> wow. You know, the, the idea that, like, uh, you know, um, quote-unquote spiritual ideas are a popular thing that people might not necessarily understand. Yeah. Wow. Did you hear that? That was crazy. It sounded like a, a UFO just landed behind us. That was cool. Sorry. Yeah, I heard something. <laughs> Whatever. Something That's, on a construction site. Welcome to the us. porch, man. Yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. Anyway, back to what we're talking about. You know, I, I think it's a good thing that the quote unquote spirituality thing has, has kind of come out of the bag. And, and like you're talking about, there's, it's not just the dead. It's not just fish. There's this whole, you know, um, culture of festivals and burning man. I've been to a couple, couple regional burns myself and it's, it's something else to, to experience those things outside of the lens of the grateful dead or the jam band scene. And to see that there's like, I liken it to like we're we're all native people, but we're different tribes kind of thing. You know, we share this thing. We're natives, but I'm from the Chickata tribe, and you're a Blackfoot. And <laughs> I like the dead. You like fish. You know what I mean? Like just different tribes, and to see how other people do their thing, and the weird, and the strange, and the odd, and the absurd that we all come up with that's beautiful that what you would have never seen had you stayed with your just your tribe you know what i mean and then we cross pollinate each other and bring these fun cool things to each other definitely well that's the thing i mean you know uh i have absolutely no idea nor do i want to know what the future has in store for me but i could you know i could potentially see in my see myself eventually going somewhere back down south uh if i were going back south i'd uh probably go probably towards uh western north carolina but uh you know big thing for me uh i just had to get out and see something different man you know it's a big world yeah and, and uh and at 24 man that's what you're supposed to be doing bro you're supposed to be out there experiencing life and tasting everything that it has how are you gonna know what you like if you haven't fucking done anything well it's funny man and also i mean you know uh i mean i, I you know i moved halfway across the country uh but you know that's not even half to halfway across the world and but you know the world already feels a lot smaller to me in the, in a way because you know now it's like uh, so I'm actually next weekend I'm uh, driving to Vegas for uh, Panic's Halloween run and uh, you know it's about it's about 15 hours each way I'm gonna stop in Durango for the night it's about halfway and you know it's like yeah you know I'm gonna drive 30 hours to see widespread panic for a weekend 
that's cool, you know? And, uh, you know, previously in my life, that would have been like, oh, that's too much. Now I'm like, fuck it, let's, you know, let's get it on. We've made that drive because we're from Vegas, and me and Aaron did it our first time when we went to Telluride, Colorado. And same thing in Durango, and then you go through Utah. You're, that's going to be a beautiful drive. There was a there was a point in that drive on the way there, where we were outside of like Green River, Utah, and it was there was like a this giant canyon on the side of the road, and we weren't on anything. We were just driving, trying to get to Telluride, and in this canyon, at the end of the canyon, you got a picture like a like a box canyon, but you know 20 miles of canyon going back to this canyon wall and like at the end of this canyon is this giant desert monsoon thunderstorm right and there's thunder and lightning like mad going on in this thunderstorm and we pulled we were in my vw van we pulled over in my van at the side of the road and at the end of this canyon and the thunder would happen and the thunder would roll down the canyon, bouncing off the canyon walls and get to us. And it, it sounded like a drum solo, but it was nature. And we sat there for like an hour just watching this nature solo. And then bailed when the monsoon started to reach us. <laughs> so so you're going to have a great fucking ride, man. And you know what? Drive 15 yeah. hours to see Panic and drive 20 hours to see Radiohead and fly across the country to see the Grateful Dead because you're 20 fucking four years old and I'm 45 years old and really man what else is there if we don't have experience exactly man and you know uh, you you know the word experience just resonated with me you know I think a big part of me becoming turned on to psychedelics um, you know I talked about you know I kind of had an academic background and back then, I learned about things by reading about them. And now, it's like I learn about the world by going out and participating in it. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, that may have made a difference in my life. I'll tell you, like, Terrence McKenna, whenever I've listened to Terrence give his raps, he's really big on experience. And one of the things that I, I took away from all of his lectures that I've listened to is, like, nobody else can tell me what chocolate pudding tastes like i can hear their idea of it <laughs> yeah. but but until i fucking tasted it i don't know and until i've done it that thing to me could be something completely different it tastes like shit and i could hate it but you've told me all my life that it's delicious and it tastes like chocolate so i think that and so my conception of reality is fucked up because i'm going through the lens of your experience and so that's why I say fucking get out and do everything you can, touch everything you can, go to every place you can, because then you know and you know what you like. And as you get older, you'll be able to know for yourself, like where you want to set up, where you want to put down roots, who you want to have around you, what you want to have in your life, what you want to do for a living. Like those things will make sense instead of just guessing and then being bummed that you fucked up and made the wrong decision. <laughs> Right. And yeah, man, it's it's just been huge for me to kind of to go back to seeing Panic for the first time. And when I like when it all clicked for me, this huge epiphany, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I was very interested in the social revolution aspect of the 1960s, uh, you know, and I started smoking weed when I was like 16 
And so, you know, I, I was very interested in the hippie movements, but until, you know, until fairly recently, I thought that that was just a relic of history that, you know, it happened in a particular time space and that it was gone and that, you know, I would never have the opportunity to participate in it. And, you know, having the realization that, oh, it's alive and well and happening now and that I can indeed participate in it. Uh, you know, that was, that was a very, um, very moving revelation for me. Yeah. It's, and it's liberating. Liberating. Yeah. And it just, you know, that, that experience as well just sparked my desire to, you know, go out and experience things firsthand. That's, and you know, I, I don't know, as, as a dad and an older head, like, that part of me wants to come out and, and say, you know what, man, that's the most important thing there is in this life. We, if we're, you know, doing the nuclear family thing and if you, if I would have listened to society and gotten a job with some fucking corporation and worked there for 30 years and had a wife and two kids and never moved away from my hometown, Jesus Christ, dude, what a sad, boring existence that would have been, you know? But but would you have even known better? No, I don't think I would have, man. I really don't. I and and right. can you imagine like that happening, right? So you live this whole American dream, and in your thirties or forties or whatever, you do get turned on, and then you find out, oh my God, what did I do? Like the, I don't even know what the word would be to for that feeling. Like oh shit, I wasted all this time, but I guess everybody's different, man. I guess I can't really say that. I don't know. Everybody's different and has their own path. I mean, shit, man. I, you know, I got started, I became ahead in earnest by the time I was about 21, about three years ago. And I feel like I woke up and had missed a lot, you know? And, uh, you know, that's something I still, you know, uh, I'm from, I'm from Knoxville. Fish came to Knoxville in 2009 when they were on their reunion tour. I was 16. I could have been at that show, but I just didn't know shit about shit, man. And, you know, they haven't played Knoxville since then. Probably never will again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, it, it, I don't know, man. I, what you said about the sixties and like feeling like you, missed out or missing out on that because it wasn't happening anymore that's something that we, we just said in the last episode the guy chris that was here was saying the exact same fucking thing and it while well, you were saying that made me made me think man like i think we all feel like that no matter when we come up and then we realize that it's still going on and i think we're lucky to be awake and doing our thing now i really do i feel like we're super fortunate because we have all these different outlets now like podcasting and going to festivals and and these shows there's so many different bands to see and so much music and so many people are turned on that it's this huge community that wasn't really like when the hippies are around the to be a hippie was a very dangerous thing it's interesting that it's become it's all it's almost become more accessible to people today, you know, because there is this abundance of festivals and uh, it has seeped into elements of fashion. So it's just more visible to, uh, you know, the regular person. Yeah, I can't imagine what our lives would be like without it. That's for sure. And it's a uh, 
it's it saved my life. Music saved my life, you know, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you've heard my story, and without it, I'd be six feet under for sure. And I'm glad that we fucking yeah, man. are here together right now, man. That's cool. I'm stoked, and I'm glad you reached out to the show and, and uh, you know, that you're digging it. It makes me happy, and I, I, think, yeah. it's, I think it's cool too, man, to to know that like you're um, you're representing your generation for me right now that your generation is is on the bus and fucking digging it and that you're spreading the love and the word dude right well you know i i just honestly you know i reached out because i just really appreciate you guys doing this uh so when i when i first started uh tripping uh, you know, like uh, like we talked about, uh, we kind of felt uniquely enlightened. You know, we were hip to something that other people weren't. And that was big. But it also, for me personally, it made me feel more isolated from the rest of the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, like... Uh, the, like, you know, since I, since I got it on a level that no one else did, that, you know, I would somehow not be able to relate to people and you know yeah just finding this community of uh you know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands millions of people who do get it um you know it gave me a it gave me a sense of belonging for sure and um i i just think it's a great thing i think psychedelics just need to be talked about more and normalized more uh, if you, I don't know how closely you follow it, but California is looking into decriminalizing mushrooms. Yeah, so is, and I'm so is Oregon. Really excited Serious? I didn't know about Oregon. That's incredible. Yeah, they're talking about a 2020 ballot measure to legalize psilocybin. Yeah, and so you know, uh, look at how medical marijuana and now recreational marijuana has evolved in the law even tennessee a pretty conservative state has a cbd law you can buy cbd candies in the head shop in tennessee and uh so yeah just the the fact the possibility that this could be coming with psilocybin is great man because i mean i think it's medicine you know i think it's gonna heal the I, i i mean i think it healed me a lot personally and I think it can help a lot of people. I think it can help society and the world at large. Yeah. You know? Look at look at what um, um, Maps is doing with the. They're in stage two clinical trials for um, MDMA to treat PTSD. You know that's a real thing that's happening right now. That, that you know legalizing ecstasy for medical treatment. That's fucking huge, man. Right. Well, I mean, you know, it was legal until what eighty four, eighty six, yeah, yeah. And it's crazy to me that it's crazy to me that it's been that recent, you know, uh, and it's been made illegal. Um, and uh, so I was, I was talking about years ago. I was talking about the legalization of marijuana with one of my friends, and he said, you know, look back to prohibition of alcohol. Uh, if you look back on it today. It's looked at as short-lived and generally a mistake. And I think that'll eventually be the way with marijuana. And if you, you know, extend that a little further, maybe it'll be like that with psilocybin, LSD, ecstasy, whatever, you know? I, yeah, I mean, as a, as a society or a culture, whatever that means, like, I don't think there's any way around us 
getting away from these substances. There's too many of us that know the truth and understand the benefit that it is medicine and that it can actually help your mind and your body and your life. So if there's so many of us out there that know that, that know the truth and haven't bought into the mainstream media's narrative of bullshit, at some point the, the, the seesaw has to tip in that direction. It has to. Right, man. I mean, you know, me personally, uh, you know, you can tell this from my Instagram, for example, I'm, uh, I'm pretty openly psychedelic, you know, and, um, uh, you know, I, and, you know, Boulder's a great town to be openly psychedelic because it's pretty accepted here, man. You know, it's not so accepted back down south. And, you know, I just want to live in a world where, you know, I'm not saying everybody has to drop all the time or whatever. You know, everyone's welcome to do their own thing. But just, you know, to live in a world where, you know, it's accepted, where, you know, people are okay with, you know, you being a psychedelic American. Yeah. And, and. A family that's psychedelic or a group, you know, cruise. And, you know, it, it just seems crazy to me that there is a group called the government that can tell me what I can and cannot put inside of my own body. If I'm not hurting anybody, if I'm in my own house, nobody should be able to tell me what I can and can't put into my body, man. There's just doesn't make sense to me. And then if I do that thing and get caught, you're going to put me in a cage like a fucking animal. You know, that's it's Mm -hmm. it's insanity to me that and I think there's a lot of us out there that feel like that, brother. I really do. And and we just need to keep speaking it and, and talking about it the way we are right now. And, you know, letting our friends and our family know who we are for real. And as we do that, the the attitude will start to shift. Absolutely, man. And I, I mean, yeah, and I think just talking about it openly and realizing that you know, okay, these people aren't drug addicts. They're not creeps. They're not <laughs> going to hurt anybody. Probably not even themselves. You know that they can be functioning. I've used the term a lot. And, uh, you know, that's something that resonates with me. I'm pretty young. At this point in my life, I don't see any any point where I would stop taking psychedelics completely. So, you know, that's important to me to, you know, be uh, eventually one day be a good family man, but also, you know, stay true to my psychedelic sensibilities. Yeah, and... I agree. And I think at some point in the ride, at least for me, I, there was a time when I didn't do them at all. And I, I heeded that call. You know what I mean? Like, okay, it's time for me to chill out. I'm starting to not feel right. Or, you know, I'm really starting to feel the effect of the weight of what I've done. And I'll let that go away for a while and, and just kind of enjoy the ride. And fuck man, at this point I'm high all the time anyway. So what the fuck? And then, you know, as, as I got a little older, I was like, you know what, I'm ready to go back and start exploring there again. And I have a little more temperance and a little more, uh, respect now for it. And like, I do it when with intention and, and, uh, you know, 
with a purpose and all of that. And it just changes as you get older. Uh, I think for some of us, it, it, but I get where you're coming from. Like I, I, if you would have asked me when I was 24, if I was ever going to stop, I would have said, fuck no, I'll never stop. But I guess I never did in retrospect. I kept doing it. You know, I mean, I've, I've definitely gone through extended breaks myself. Uh, you know, er, okay. So early on when I started with mushrooms, uh, I was eating a lot of fucking mushrooms, man. Like, <laughs> you know, probably, probably like an eighth twice a week or something like that for a solid six months. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it, it started, uh, it started fucking with me, man. It was too much. You know, I started losing touch with reality and I had to lay off for a while, man. Um, you know, from that point, I tripped sporadically, not frequently at all, uh, pretty much until I was 21 and saw that first panic show. <laughs> and then it was <laughs> off know? to the races. I'm back on. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, man. That's right. fucking beautiful. So, I mean, you know, there, there's, you know, there's, yeah. So there's definitely room to, you know, slow down or take a break. But, you know, uh, I don't know, even if you stop taking the substances, uh, you can definitely, you know, remain true to the the values and the aesthetic. Uh, well, it becomes, entang- it, it becomes entangled in who you are. And my concept of me is because of psychedelics at this point. You know what I mean? I, uh, I, those medicines and drugs or whatever you want to call it have made me who I am today and there is no separation between me and those things anymore really I I wouldn't be me without that so yeah I I will say this though and I've said this on a bunch of the episodes so far and I'll say it again like not everybody is called to do psychedelics it's definitely there's a certain kind of person that that's willing and ready to jump into the abyss into that chaos and if you're not called to it that's totally fine man you can be just as awake and hashtag woke as anybody else without the medicines you know um if you're not called then don't fucking do it and let us do it and we'll tell you the stories and you can learn from the stories you know it's you know as as long as you're not trying to stop me from having my trip you do whatever you want (laughs) you know Oh, totally, man. <laughs> All right, Tom. That's fucking right on. Well, thanks for coming by, man. It's fucking rad that we got to talk. And it's cool to hear the song being sung by somebody that's 24 years old, brother. It really is. Yeah, well, I mean, thanks. You know, I mean, really. You know, I mean, I feel like I, I, I feel like I owe it to the people that came before me for laying the foundation uh, uh but you know i'm uh, i'm blazing the trails today so i'm i'm just glad to be a part of it man right on hey is there anything that you want to shout out you want to plug your plug your taco thing or anything like that yeah so uh yeah definitely so i worked for mcdevitt taco supply super heady tacos we're based out of boulder colorado and uh our whole thing is we just want to fucking feed you. We've got some pretty dank food. We don't call them super heady tacos for nothing. And, uh, you know, we're reasonably priced. We're all working class savages. Uh, we like to party, but we take it very, we take it very seriously too, man. You know, when it's, 
uh, when you're late night at a festival and these kids on drugs need food. So, uh, yeah, if you're ever around Boulder, come check us out. We got a restaurant. We also got uh, cart locations all around town. And uh, you guys, if you ever find yourselves around Colorado, I'll show you a good time. Hey, and likewise, dude, if you – and this is no bullshit. If you find yourself up here in Portland for a show or you come up here on a vacation – Hit us up before you come up. Let us know. And you got a place. You come hang out on the porch with us. We'll smoke a joint with you and hang out and show you around the city, brother. That'd be amazing, man. I've never been up to Oregon, but I've always wanted to check it out. I mean, I hear great things. So, I got to ask you one more thing. So, wait. You said that you guys um, sell tacos at Dick's when Fish is playing, right? Yeah. So, are you high? Am I am I high right now? Yes. No. Are you high when when you're selling tacos at Dick's? Are you? Do you dose oh. before serving tacos? Uh. Well. Yeah. <laughs> um, I say put a man on the spot. I'm putting you on the spot, man. Come on. I, I, actually, man, I got a funny story. So Saturday, Dix is here. We have a we have an avocado sauce we put on our tacos, and uh, I had some mushrooms, and I was like, I'm gonna make these taste better. And so I put some of the avo sauce on a mushroom and just like ate it right in front of the customer. And he was like, "That's fucking brilliant." <laughs> so, so, so it's funny, man. You say that like I I always wonder because when I'm high, the whole world is high too, right? Everybody's right. high. When I go to a show, like the bartender's high now because I'm high, and the guy next to me's high, and whatever. And I've always wondered, like, is the guy selling drinks high, or is that just me? Is the guy at the merch table as high as I think he is? So that. <laughs> I mean, we. So, so you know, uh, yeah, like, late, we did uh, late night tacos after the show Saturday night. I want to fucking work with you guys, man. Shit. Move to Portland, <laughs> yeah. you guys. Fuck it. Let's let's do some tacos. Fuck. Yeah. Hey, yeah. you know, uh, it, you know, if if I can find us a good reason to get up there, they'll do it. <laughs> you know, we could do like a, a cannabis taco infused uh, vape. <laughs> yeah. Science. So uh, yeah, totally. Hashtag science. All right, man. <laughs> Thanks for giving us your time, bro. I really appreciate it, man. We love you, dude. Have a great trip to Vegas, yeah, man. And hey, hey, check in, check in with us after the panic shows in Vegas, and let us know how it was. Maybe, maybe um, record us a little something on your phone while you're there, like a trip report or something that we could play on the air. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, I'll uh, I'll give you some panic and loathing in Las Vegas. That'd be fun. I can't <laughs> fucking wait, brother. That's fucking rad. I wish I could be there with you. Yeah, well, I'll be thinking of you guys. Right on, bro. Uh, we'll talk soon, man. You take care. All right, thanks, guys. Take it easy. Later, bro. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
I want to tell you about the April-May 2023 issue of Relics Magazine. It features a Dave Matthews Band cover story with additional articles and interviews with The National, Graham Nash, Wayne Shorter, ALO, Ivan Neville, our friend Eric Krasno and Stanton Moore, Marty Stewart, and much more. Check out the latest version of Relics and subscribe now at relics.com slash DMB. Thanks, Relics. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.